My extra special guest this week is Ben Scoggins. He is the managing director of Organic Agency. He spent the early part of his career in some of the most prestigious agencies in the world, YNR, DDB and Ogilvy. He now runs Organic, a 50-person agency in Exeter, South Devon, and delivers some truly fantastic work for clients like HSBC, Argos, and The Body Shop. Just go down the list of some of the biggest iconic brands in the world. He spent the first few months in the role narrowing in on a compelling client proposition, developing the culture and hiring some amazing talent, which we discuss at length because it's such a crucial part of any agency's value. To be fair, it's not that much of a hard sell, to be honest, when you say to people, hey, come and work for us, and when you clock off, you can spend the rest of your time on the beach, uh, sold. We talk about everything from the differences in cultures when he interviewed for BBH, Abbott Mead Vickers, and BMP, which is now Adam and Eve DDB. It was really fascinating to hear how different they were from each other and how the agencies tone and culture is really set not so much by the leadership team or the employees but actually by your client because he says uh, the culture of your client really flows both ways we we talked about his hiring strategy the five hours on a train test is this someone you really want to sit to on a train for five hours Um, we talk about his time at one of the meccas of all agencies Ogilvy uh, going from an agency of 300 people in Ogilvy to Red Bee Creative, an agency with just 50 people, really fascinating insights. We talked about whether or not we actually need to be in London anymore. You know, the difference between regional agencies and London agencies in terms of attracting clients and, and talent. If you're interested in any of those things, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Ben Scoggins. Ben Scoggins is the Managing Director of Organic. They work with brands to create great digital experiences. They believe digital can make life better. They work with brands to create seamless and enjoyable online experiences to improve their customers' lives. He has held senior roles within YNR, DDB and Ogilvy. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Ben Scoggins, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hi, Nathan. Uh, thanks for the intro. And, and uh, yeah, really nice to be speaking to you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to speaking to you for, for quite some time. It was Tim Doust who introduced us, who I'm a huge fan of. And uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure having having you on the show. I'm, I'm sure we'll speak a little bit more about him a, a bit later. Um, but Let's talk a little bit about your background first, because you start your agency career with DDB San Francisco in 1997, after getting your MSc in marketing from Manchester Business School. What first attracted you to the world of marketing? Um, well, I think from a from a very young age, I'd sort of uh, decided that the world of business was was where I was going to go. So unlike, you know, kids who wanted to be firemen and uh, pilots and farmers and whatever else, I, my, you know, my mum my sort of hints at the fact that I, I sort of wanted to be a management consultant from the time I was a toddler. So I sort of already decided I was in that sort of place. And uh, all the way through school, I sort of wanted to do that sort of thing. It was very interesting commerce and that side of things. And that led to uh, going and doing a, a degree in, in management systems, which, to be honest, it's very sort of businessy. It's what business studies like. But it was... Um, in parts quite dry there were certain bits that i found quite dry but i absolutely loved the marketing part of it and that that side Mm. of it and and that was the bit where i thought actually i can get really excited about this um and and i there's a a quote that i read not not that long ago actually like i don't know where Mm. it came from i think it was from i think it's from the new york times or from washington post or something like that but it basically it was quite a sort of cynical thing it sort of said that marketing is this this sort of art of telling stories, but stories that are so engaging that people lose track of their wallets. And I sort of remember that <laughs> losing track of your Love wallets it. thing. Yeah. Thought, that's just a fantastic, but very cynical way of, of sort of looking at it. Yeah. But, but for me, that idea of engaging people at an emotional level, that was the that was the really interesting thing. This idea of a job that could mix that sort of businessy, sort of stereotypical businessy world mm. with creativity and persuasion. That was the thing that made me think, actually, that's what I want to do. I want to get into marketing. And then obviously, latterly, I want to sort of focus down and be in communications. 
you applied to lots of agencies in 1998, uh, trying to get your start in the agency world. You spammed a lot of inboxes at the time uh, to get an opportunity somewhere, and you finally convinced YNR to give you a chance. What made them say yes? Um, I, I mean, the honest answer is that I got a lucky break. You know, I'd um, I'd done the milk round, like a lot of people, I've sort of gone through the the milk round process. So, uh, you know, all of the big agencies basically taking on sort of handful of people each year and I got down to the final sort of group and the final stage for um, a place at YNR but I uh, they had four places and I was the I was the fifth person on the list and so I missed out on it so what I did was I, I sort of persuaded them to basically let me do some some work experience and I, I went in I think I sort of went in over the Easter and then over the summer and by the end of the summer you know I'd sort of done enough for them to go actually you know let's let's give you a whirl let's take on five people this year we're sort of happy that you you're a really good really good fit so um so yeah sort of a bit of a bit of luck I mean it comes back to that whole thing about making your own luck a little bit I think mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. that attitude where it's like right well I've, I've not I've not made it in through the through the front door let's see if the side door works instead and let's try and just keep pushing until until we get in so it was that that sort of focus and and work ethic I think that was the thing that was really appreciated Hmm. And and such a at such a young age, starting with such a prestigious agency, what what was it like working with such a prestigious, well known agency at such a uh, influential time in your career? Um, I mean, I think I think at the time you you sort of you want to get into um, any of the big agencies. It doesn't really matter. All of them are more hmm. similar than they are different. Um, but the one thing they sort of have in common, particularly the, the top 10 agencies, is that they, they have a fantastic um, sort of training program. It really is sort of university of advertising. You sort of go in and the learning curve is fantastically steep. I mean, it's obviously a lot of fun, but you learn so much so quickly. Um, mm. And you, you're sort of very conscious of the fact that you are standing on the shoulders of, of giants from previous previous generations. And I'm sure that's still true within within the sort of big sort of holding company uh, network groups um, that, you know, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of amazing people there. So it's a really, mm. it is a fantastic, I still think it's a fantastic place to start your career. You get your two year itch and then you found your way into DDB where you became the business director in 2001 and you stayed there for over 10 years. No two year itch that time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, um, I suppose I should sort of explain the, the, the two year itch thing anyway. I think, the, the interesting thing, so you go through this process and you, you start and you train very quickly, you learn a lot of stuff in your learning curve ramps up. And after two years, you basically find a lot of headhunters and recruiters knocking on your door saying, hey, you're really valuable. You're not being paid enough. Come over here and I'll pay you 500 <laughs> more. You know, it's that sure. sort of thing. And so that's that sort sure. of started. And um, and at the time, it's it's you know it's a fantastic thing. And you obviously want to keep on growing and exploring and everything else. In my case, I had made a, I sort of made a conscious decision that I wanted to go to somewhere that was right at the top of its game in terms of um, strategic thinking and sort of that effectiveness side and also the, the creative side. And so I, I, I personally made a shortlist which worked for me, which was agencies that I thought were doing exactly that. And I, I um, the, the three that I shortlisted actually were uh, BBH, so um, Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty, mm-hmm. um, Abbott, Abbott Mead Vickers, part of BBDO, and um, BMP, which was then just sort of becoming part of, of DDB. So th- again, three big sort of mm. you know, well-known agencies. And I thought they'd be sort of more, more similar than different because that was my initial sort of view first going in. So I went to interviews at, at all three of these agencies and... The amazing thing is just how different they were, even from walking in the door. Huh. Um, I, what, what I found fascinating was that I, I went to um, see AMV and walked in through the door there. And the impression you get is it's very suited and booted and professional mm. and sort of business-like, you know, that, right. that's the sort of vibe that I got there. Uh, right. I went to B- BBH and it was like walking into this sort of cathedral of glass, you know, it's sort of very imposing building the sort of atrium wraps around you as you walk in so it's really mm. sort of an imposing space and then i went to um bmp which was um basically that they're still in the bit so they're now adam and uh, adam and eve ddb is the agency now but it's still in the same building and uh, this building is an old um great western railway 
storage building, you know, and it, it looks like that. <laughs> it still looks mm-hmm. like that. And um, I remember sort of going in through the door, you got this higgledy-piggledy staircase into reception, sort of took a, took a seat waiting to be interviewed by someone. And then this guy, who I later found out was an account director, but he, he walked across the uh, reception in his socks. And I thought, this, this is kind of, for me, I quite like that quirk. Okay. I quite like, I quite like the, exactly, but very different yeah. the other two. And, and sure enough, that sort of, you know, spelled the sort of set the tone I, sp- I suppose for the next you know 10 years really that is what the place was like exceptionally good dedicated professional but but with a slight sort of quirk and, and quite a difference to it which I personally yeah. liked it sort of suited me yeah super fascinating so you stayed with DDB for for 10 years what what made you stay I mean firstly did he continue walking around in his socks for <laughs> For ten I years, I, I, or I, I, did he own any shoes? Or, or? <laughs> uh, yeah, he did own shoes. He definitely owned shoes. He wore them when okay. he went to client meetings. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, yes, it was it was a that that really did sort of set the tone. That's kind of what it was like. You know, it, it was like that. It was just a very relaxed atmosphere, sort mm. of quite um, quite a sort of family feel to it. And and they they actually have a uh, a sort of motto as part of their grad recruitment, which I don't think they use quite so much anymore. But they had this thing of um, you know, you had to be talented and you had to be nice. That was their criteria for people who worked mm. there, and it, mm. it it did genuinely sort of come come through. You know, that was the that was the tone of the place, which I you know, like like I say, sort of really worked for me. It was what I wanted out of mm. out of an agency. But, and um, I guess that that style and that tone is, I would assume, is set by the you know the founders, the leadership team that attracts not only like minded employees but like minded clients as well. Yeah. Um, do you think that was that's an intentional sort of decision to sort of you know set up your agency in that way, or is that more of an organic thing? Do you think? I think more often than agencies would like to admit, their their tone is set by their clients, and, and that sounds huh. a weird it sounds a weird thing to say, but certainly maybe not set, but certainly shaped. You know, we had clients who had almost a similar tone of voice to the agency. So, you know, VW was one of our biggest clients, and that. That VW tone was almost like a sort of a, a BMP DDB tone of voice, um, and I, I think that that probably happens quite a lot. That you you know if you do have a certain type of client that because you're working with them so much that that sort of culture flows both ways, and you, you do start end up sort of wearing some of the clothes of your of your clients. Now, as time's gone on, obviously there are less big clients dominating agencies and being there sort of fully retained and, and being sort of part of the furniture in the same way that that they did do in the past where you had retained relationships with clients for 10 20 years now we've moved into more project-based stuff and it's more sporadic there's less opportunity mm. for that to happen but but certainly mm. at the time when i started that was definitely true you worked there for over 10 years as we mentioned earlier and you worked on some really impressive client accounts american airlines pepsico lurpak uh, just going up, down the list of some of the largest brands brands in the world. Talk a little bit about what your legacy was at your time there and sort of talk about some of the most impressive client accounts that you worked on. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean it was a fantastic you know, agency built on amazing clients, to be honest. Um, I think in terms, of, in terms of legacy, I think legacy is quite a big word, isn't it? But I, I think um, some of the things that I'm actually most pleased with in myself from the time that I've worked there are things like um, running grad recruitment. It's such a such an important part, you know, people are such an important part of, of the business. So taking responsibility for hiring the next generation of people, that's actually something that I probably place as much emphasis on as, you know, running, I don't know, Terry's Chocolate Orange or yeah, whatever, mm. whatever it was. So, so I think it's sort of different. There's so much variety and different things that you can do within agencies and sort of the ability to make your mark um, that's some of the stuff I'm sort of probably fondest of in terms of the stuff that I did while I was there. Hmm. And and just on that graduate recruitment piece, I mean, what what is it? What are you looking for in talented young graduates that would could be the future of of the agency? I mean, talent pipelines for agencies are crucially important. Um, what are some of the skills, behaviours, and characteristics of the graduates that you want to be the future leaders of the agency. Mm. I mean, we we talked um, we talked about sort of talented and nice as a as a as a motto, something that 
that was definitely sort of part of the DNA of the of the building. So that was definitely true. I mean, there's no doubt that we hired um, incredibly bright people. You know, that was something that we were really clear. So it was academics was really important, um, but also just a sort of streetwise bright. No. Uh, we definitely hired for a sort of determination and a grit and an ability not to, you know, sort of give up at the first, the first or even the fifth hurdle. Um, but one of the biggest things that we hired for, which, you know, again, I sort of feel to this day is just key to, to getting the right people is we had a, a thing that we called the, um, the five hours on a train test, which is just this idea that you need to go up to, you know, wherever on a train to see a client and you've got to go with this person. Do you want to spend five hours sitting down chatting to this person? You know, Interesting. Just forget all your work stuff for a minute. <laughs> is this person somebody who's sure. interesting and interested? You know, it's those yeah. two things sort of coupled together, really. And that was actually the key. That was sort of the acid test. You know, after everything else, and you've done your all of your different, you know, assessment days and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Is, well, hang on a minute. Do you actually want to spend time with this person? Because if you don't, you know, we 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 work in a creative environment, and it's it can be, you know, something where there's a lot of conflict and there's ego mm. and there's all sorts of other things going mm-hmm. on. If you don't like this person to start with, you're on a hiding to nothing. So so getting that part of it. Just so 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 important, particularly. I mean, it's important in any in any industry, but I think particularly within an agency environment. Really fascinating. The the five hours on a train test. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna adopt that. Um, in 2011, you'd finally made it to the mecca of all agencies, Ogilvy and Mather, arguably. Um, you worked on the Dove account there for Unilever, but you only stayed there for seven months. Why so short? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, uh, for a start, I, I sort of went to, I went to Ogilvy, not so much for Ogilvy, Ogilvy, but for Dove. You know, I, I went to work on that account. That was the driver for me. It was about a brave client doing brave work, a sort of differentiated positioning in the market and, and helping to sort of build that out. So that was why I went. Um, when I got there, I suppose I found that, um, I was, I'd sort of just taken a step away from the, the creative work. So the bit that I'd really loved doing, um, I was just a step further away from the generation of that work. So I spent a lot of time basically sort of coordinating a lot of work and, and sort of globally. I'd taken on a global role. And so I was, I spent time, you know, talking to you know, Japan in the morning and the States in the evening. My days were mm. being elongated, but it wasn't talking about the stuff I really wanted to talk about. So, um, I'd actually known a uh, business director who was a friend of mine at uh, a DEB. He called me up after sort of six months and says, I know you just started there um, at Ogilvy, but I wonder if you'd, you know, if there's anyone who'd be interested in coming and doing a, a maternity cover um, role at, um, at Red Bee. Red Bee was originally part of the BBC, but then it continued as a separate company to serve the BBC across a whole I mean, basically across all of the BBC's output. So, hmm. so I thought, well, fantastic. You know, what's the job? Oh, it's covering you know BBC Sport, BBC One, uh, iPlayer. I was like, amazing. Where do where do I start? Yeah. Um, and, and so yes, yeah, so I, I very quickly sort of you know did that, jump ship, and um, and then stayed at stayed at Red Bee, um for for quite a while. You know, sort of heading up their account management team there. What did you take away from that experience with Red Bee that you're now using? at organic we'll come on, on to talk about organic in a bit more detail a little bit later on but what were the main takeaways from that experience with red b working on the bbc account yeah i mean i, I absolutely i absolutely loved you know the, the output of, i mean be, working on working on skincare maybe something that you know some, some people really love for me it had always been about the brand so to move on to the bbc uh, a brand that i'd loved for such a long time was really 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 fantastic and to talk about talk about telly all day rather than talking about voice you know, it's it just a, it was a fantastic yeah. thing to do um i think in terms of the takeaways from um from the move to red b that I, that I brought forward it was really about a change of gear in terms of size of agency mm. and you don't realize until you've done you know working in agencies that employ 300 people to all of a sudden go to somewhere that's employing you know 50 people that's um mm. That's a whole different thing. It's a completely different way of working. You're much closer to the sort of success and failure of the agency. It feels like you're far more, you know, 
culpable in some ways, but it is a, it is a really enjoyable thing for me personally. If you think back to what I was saying about wanting to be involved in business, so I felt like I was getting closer to business, but still retaining that that sort of creativity, which was um, really important to me. You you joined Organic as creative director in 2018, uh, who were all the way down in Exeter in in Devon. You moved out of London. <laughs> yeah yeah um there, there were a few raised eyebrows uh, with that not least um my sister who's now a senior marketer herself um you know she thought i was absolutely bonkers she's like why why are you going where where are you going why are you going what right because um, everyone knows the only cool things happen in london <laughs> all the cool agencies all the cool clients are in london well so i'm told so i'm told but but um yeah, I mean, to be completely honest, you know, we decided quite a while before we had decided as a family. So my wife, who also used to work in advertising, um, who's, who's actually moved on to become to become a therapist now. But she, she me and her decided, you know, we've now got a two-year-old uh, daughter and it's, you know, it's time to think about where we're going to go. So are we going to go, it's that, that whole thing of are we going to go out or are we going to go out-out? You know, are we going to go outside the M25 and commute in? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to properly do this and hmm. go somewhere further afield? And so we had that. So, so it was ultimately led by a lifestyle choice. Um, I suppose the, the difficulty is when you do that, having come from a world which is so tightly ingrained in London, you suddenly think, well, where the hell am I going to go to work? You know, it's hard hmm. to make the decision, but how are we going to support this? Mm-hmm. And so I started doing some work and sort of hunting around. And I think... Uh, you know, I spoke to lots of different agency owners um, in in the southwest primarily because that's where I sort of decided we decided as a family that's where we wanted to go. You know, we love this part of the world, so I started doing that. I think the majority of agencies that I spoke to were kind of the conversations kind of went the way I thought they were going to go, which is talking to agencies that really, um, you know, they're they're outside of London and they don't really have very much to do with with national clients they don't really worry too much about uh sort of talent and pulling talent in from elsewhere and the way you apply talent which is something that we do at organic which i can i can talk about in a bit but um and and so fairly sort of disappointing conversations and i was thinking hang on is this thing going to work and started looking at client side jobs and all sorts of other things because i was really keen that i kept you know i hadn't sort of come here to retire this wasn't about taking a step back and slowing down it was actually about i want to do something but i just don't want to be in the center of london to do it so how am i going to make that make that thing work so um i was lucky enough to find organic and the people there who were you know on a totally different you know they were on a different thing on a different mission it was about we're ambitious we're we may be an expert but that's only because we like to go surfing in the evenings it's not because we don't want to work on amazing stuff sure and and so that vibe I thought, I, well, I can do something with this. I can, you know, this can work for me. And I think I can add a lot of value here too. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was really sort of what happened. Hmm. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about organic in a bit more detail because you work with some pretty impressive clients, New Look, Argos, PwC, Heinz, Capita, just again, go down the list of some of the largest uh, uh, brands in the world. Uh, presumably they know that you're not, uh, based in London, talk about what some of the main problems that your clients have, and how do you help solve them? Yeah, so uh, I, the first thing to say is that we do actually have a, a small office in London. You know, we ha- we do have a base there, and that mm. is because a number, well, the majority of our clients are within the M25. You know, that's that's just the reality of the kind of clients that we want to work on. Unfortunately, they've not all decided they want to go surfing in the evening, and they're not really <laughs> on here yet. Um, so, so we do have a lot sort of in that part of town. So we have a small office in Holborn, but the reality is that, um, you know, not that the work isn't really done there. You know, that's not the purpose of having that base there. Um, I think, I think really when it comes to clients, uh, most of the clients don't really care. They, they don't seem to care that we are, yeah, that we are anywhere. I mean, particularly now, I mean, we've obviously, you know, we've obviously gone through this whole, Amazing check. Yeah, there's the massive sort of swirl of things where nobody knows where anybody else is. You know, you sort of see inside people's spare bedrooms every day. And it doesn't really you know, matter whether they're in South London or whether they're in Exeter. It's sort of there's been a been a sort of shift in the way that people sort of perceive the world of work. But I think 
I think even before that, we had we actually had a client in the same building as us in Holborn, um, and pretty much all of the work was being handled out of Exeter. And, and that client, mm. certainly the senior clients there, they just didn't care. You know, I think I think some of the junior clients didn't even know really. They sort mm. of really clocked it, but but they didn't really care. So it's not being down here isn't such an issue about clients. It's more about talent. That's the Interesting. That's the main issue. And we can we, we can talk a little bit more about that. But um mm. uh, it, it, yeah. it's interesting because I mean I've I've heard a lot of agencies sort of complain that because they're not in London, maybe they don't get access to the the briefs of uh, a lot of large corporates, especially because of those corporates that are maybe based outside of the UK and then they have an impression of the UK being just London. Uh, and anything outside of that in the north or the south or anywhere else is somehow sub subpar. But what you're seeing is that from what you've seen uh, with your experience with organic and other agencies, that clients are less, they care less about brand London um, than they once did in the past. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's funny with the whole regional agency thing. So I think the other thing is you get regional agencies that are based in other sort of metropolitan areas. So, you know, Newcastle, Manchester, wherever else, who are fiercely proud of their own metropolitan roots. And sure. so that drives them. So it's like I'm a, I'm a Leeds agency or a Manchester agency, and that's what I do. And I, I sort of wear that as a, as a sort of badge of honour, and I almost kick against the London thing. Mm. And we've not gone down that route. We've gone down the route that it just doesn't matter. It increasingly doesn't matter where you are. So let's not get caught up in that whole that whole thing around geography. What matters is that you're applying the right talent to solve my problems in the best possible way. And mm. and, and, and that's it. So let's just forget about the geography for a minute. Um, and, and most clients are, are sort of receptive to that. You know, and increasingly we have lots of clients who are, you know, the client offices are based in London. But all of our clients are also spread out all over the place and sort of working remotely. Mm. You know, so, they, so they don't really care. It's like, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to sort of bang a drum for why, you know, Exeter is amazing from a client point of view. You do need to do that from a, from a, you know, talent, staff, talent point of view. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. Sure that's a different thing. Well, let's talk a little bit about that then, because one of the reasons why a number of agencies are attracted to London and the South is because of the, abundance of, of talent that's available in the city. Um, how do you make sure that you're attracting the right caliber of talent to work in your agency when competition is really fierce? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely key for us. You know, it, it really is. And um, I mean, for a start, I suppose we are lucky that we work in a beautiful part of the world. You know, we work in a place where you know, people actually come on holiday here. So it's not it's not mm. difficult to to sure. sell people on the idea of why don't you move move down to to the southwest um we've sort of done there are two two things going on um one of them is that we've uh we've taken a long time to get our our, our sort of people focused thing right and a big part of that actually has been we've we've got a considering we're 30 people we've got a dedicated people manager and this isn't a guy who's a sort of an HR guy, although he is, you know, he's very sort of talented, very multi-talented guy. But really, we've got, you know, we outsource a lot of our HR stuff. His his role actually is about nurturing and building this talent pool. And that's so that's what he does. And he does a fantastic job of that. But but it's sort of there, there are two the sort of split that's come in with the way that we um, we look at this this talent thing. And the first thing is the the mix of talent we have. We have you know, 50%, I mean, literally a sort of 50-50 split. We have 50% of our people who are, you know, these local superstars. So they are people from in and around Devon. They're ambitious and they're driven and they want to work at the best possible place and they want to work on fantastic brands doing fantastic projects. But they do also want to go surfing in the evening. So you're not mm. going to get them to, you're not going to get them to London. Mm. But if you can harness them in the right way, they're a fantastic, fantastic resource. The other side of it the other sort of 50 percent is the interlopers like me you know the sort of the people who come in with the big city experience kind of going sure. oh, hang on a minute i want to this is how you do it now. yeah right. yeah exactly and sort of coming in and saying okay we can help you because we've got you know skills that maybe will will help to sort of build on this thing that you've got going on already and so um you know we have pulled people in from all sorts of different places so we you know pulled in project manager from google and 
the head of digital marketing from Selfridges to be, you know, data analytics head and, um, you know, large agency people like me. Mm. Uh, so, so that, that part of it is, is really important. Um, I think the other thing that we, we need to be mindful of being outside of the capital as well is that once we get these people, we keep hold of them. You know, we get sure. the good ones and we absolutely make sure that they, they stay with us and they want to be part of this thing. And um, where, where that then, you know, sort of brings back in Ben, who's our, who's our people manager, is that we spend a lot of time um, upskilling and reskilling. And, and I think the, the upskilling thing is just part and parcel of being a digital agency. You know, we have to have a focus on always being on top of the latest sort of trend and changes and everything else. So we, you know, just as a matter of course, we spend a lot of time upskilling. Mm. But the reskilling thing, I think, is probably a little bit different. You know, it, if you're in London and you're, um, you know, you're a project, you know, we, we've got a project director. So he's, you know, he's worked at AKQA and he came down and after six months he said, you know, as much as I, I love doing project direction and as, as great as he, he is as a project director, um, he, uh, he came and came in and said, you know, what I really want to do is UX. I want to do user experience design. Mm. That's where my sort of heart is. And so unlike, I think, a, a sort of the reaction of a, of a big agency, which would be very difficult to sort of make that shift, we've gone, actually, you are incredibly important to us. We think, you know, we see the potential in, in this, in you, in the role that you're talking about. And so we paid for courses and we gave a certain amount of time. We helped him transition. And now, you know, he is a, he's a fantastic um, he's a fantastic UX lead. You know, he's he's very very good at that job, and and I think appreciative of the role that that Organic played in helping him make that make that switch. Equally, I'm really proud of the fact that he actually spent you know times at the weekend and everything else doing these courses and and sort of mm. helping himself. So it was a it was definitely a sort of symbiotic relationship. You know, he did what he needed to do, we did what we needed to do, but it it feels to me really healthy from an agency point of view to have that kind of person making that kind of switch. And also from the point of view of building teams for clients, you know, it means we can build really dynamic, interesting teams of sort of multi-skilled people that you just don't don't really get elsewhere. Mm. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's been a big it's a big thing. This whole thing of um, of talent and how we manage that really important. I, I speak to a lot of agency owners who sort of get to around a thirty or fifty man agency size and start to become frustrated that they're being pulled out of. Uh, working on the business and the strategic side and they're spending more time on people issues um, people obviously bring their whole selves to work as we want them to do uh, but increasingly that uh, tends to distract sometimes from uh, getting on and doing the work delivering a, a fantastic um, work for for clients how, how much of an issue has that been for you sort of the the challenge of you know, people bringing their own politics and their own issues to work as they inevitably do, um, ha as opposed to sort of getting on and, and, and doing the work, which I hear is a, a frustration from a lot of agency owners around the sort of 30 to 50 man mark. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we we're, I think we're lucky in some ways that we have, for a start, you know, I'm part of a, a fantastic management team. So we have a, a sort of a very stable management team we know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. We play to those strengths and weaknesses, support each other. So that's a strong, yes, yeah, a sort of strong sort of leadership group at, at, the, at the top of the tree. But I think also just we, we've made a sort of conscious decision, and, and this is something we've, we've sort of pushed on since, I, since I've been in the agency. We sort of pushed on having less very, very junior people, and, mm. and we've got less of those big salaries at the top it means we just have this group in the middle who are very sort of mature, they're, they're sort of happy in themselves and in their own roles. And that, again, gives you this sort of stability. That's, that's not to say that there aren't people issues that come up, they come up all the time. And, you know, like I said, we have a people manager and we have this great management team and, and um, you know, they, they do a fantastic job sort of keeping the whole machine going. But, but I think just having, not having a... A sort of an elongated, very layered, you know. Ben, I, Ben, I can hear seagulls yeah. in the background. Are you actually on the beach or? Uh, I'm not actually on the beach, but I, I live very close. I mean, this was okay. It was, a, it was a lifestyle choice, Nathan. Let's just <laughs> say yeah, that was the catalyst. So, so yes, yeah. that, is, that is seagulls. I'm not actually on the beach. Um, I'm working very hard. 
so 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 yeah that's um you know that's how we've sort of uh we've sort of dealt with it really in one way um i mean there are there are issues that come up all of the time but i think we've got a fantastic structure and a way of dealing with those issues that's not to say that obviously as we as we continue to grow that that won't become you know problem problem sort of further down the track but for now it actually works very very well Let's talk about your role as managing director. You became managing director in 2019. Uh, what were the things on the top of your agenda in the first few months? Um, well, a couple of things really. P- people, obviously, that's something we've, we've talked about. And that, that was a really important thing for me to get s- sort of sorted out and, and just be really clear about our, our culture and trying to really sort of doing the doing the basics, really. Um, you know, coming in and if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. It sounds a stupid thing to say, but I think it's a temptation mm-hmm. when you first go into things, you can quite quickly get carried away and make lots of promises to people, suddenly realise, hang on a minute, I can't do all this stuff that I said I was going to do. So so mm-hmm. just making sure that all of those basic management things are done right. Um, the other thing, though, was just sorting out our positioning and our, our offering to clients. I think, um, you know, we, ha- we have this this sort of phrase that we've, We've sort of alighted on now which is around um, human-centered thinking so human-centered thinking tech-centered doing is our, hmm. our sort of mantra um and and really sort of explains what we do to clients and tr- trying to get to a point where we sorted that out and what that actually meant for people was uh was really important we'll, we'll come back to that in a in a moment but but you say that there are many different skill sets to being an effective managing director um, some managing directors are more commercially focused, some are more creative, empathetic, despotic. Some of them can be. Um, w- what type of managing director are you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the MD title just covers a massive myriad of things. You know, oh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, ultimately, it's about decision making. You know, and, and that's you know what you are the sort of point person. But I think some MD roles have much more strategic input. Uh, and others feel like they're they're sort of quite tactical, um, and and uh, you know I've, I've I know of a uh, of an MD in another another large, fairly large agency actually, and he was sort of saying that he spent six months of his year last year basically coordinating desk moves around the uh, around the office. You know we're going to have a, a bit of you know renovation and desk moves. And it was like the, my whole time just got spent on this this you know sort of fairly tactical thing. Sure. And I think that can happen quite a lot. I think, you know, MDs can sort of get a bit sidetracked. I think it's I think it's slightly different in smaller agencies, particularly where the founders of the agencies have taken a step back or where the management team properly are in control. Because um, you are inevitably more involved in setting the agenda going forward and thinking about a sort of three-year horizon rather than just thinking about well, what's going to happen next week. Um, but in terms of the kind of, in terms of the type of MD I am, I'm certainly very collaborative. I enjoy collaborating with other people i'm not this sort of lone wolf dogmatic right i have the answers listen to me yeah i just i I just don't feel it works so that's just not Mm. it's not in my sort of personality type as much as anything else i enjoy working with a group of people who are like i say you know we all have our strengths and weaknesses but i like being able to say actually i know that you can handle this better than me Mm. so run with it go away and do it let's check in as you're doing it but um but i like the fact that i can rely on other people to get stuff done so i suppose my, my background really is a, is a sort of commercial and strategically led role but but like i say leaning on others for for the bits where i feel i'm maybe not quite as strong or don't have the time mm. and and you're 10 months into the managing director role now uh, obviously it's, it's the first time that you've been a managing director but you've you've obviously worked very closely with other managing directors and, and, and leaders in your time at other agencies. What have you taken away from the other leaders that you've worked with in previous agencies that you're now implementing and using yourself with organic? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, suppose, I suppose for a start, I've I found, you know, it hasn't been that long that I've, I've been doing the job on paper, but I was definitely doing the job before being given the role and I think that's that's probably true of most people who find themselves being promoted in in role um I think it's also pretty important to say that uh, you know I've sort of said about the the management team and the support there but also just the role that the board and the non-execs play in the way that we get stuff done is really important too that, and that's sort of helped the transition it means that there's not only it's not only what I've learned from 
other MDs from outside of the business previously. It's also about just having people within the business that is it's sort of set up to provide the proper sort of support and checks and balances and, and the framework there to get stuff done. So from that point of view, I think Organic is a very professionally set up small agency. And I don't think that's necessarily true from the other small agencies I I know that are, you know, maybe a, even a similar size to us, but are probably a little bit more frenetic in the in terms of the way that things get done. You know, we have quite a quite a good sort of process and solid framework for doing things. Um, what I, what I've learned though, I suppose from from others previously, I, I talked about the sort of basics and getting the, the ABCs right. I think that's the to me that's the absolute key, and you don't necessarily need to do too much else. You know, you just making sure that you are. Um, doing what you say when you when you when you say you're going to do it, that's just a massive way to go, mm. going towards um, you know being a good MD. I think. Let's talk a little bit about your strapline that you mentioned earlier. It's human centered thinking, tech centered doing. What does that mean for clients in, and the work that you deliver for them? Um, I, I mean, so so the line came out of. Um, I suppose a bit of a frustration from a number of people in the agency who looked at other digital agencies and probably even worked for other digital agencies that were kind of just obsessed with tech. And, mm. and so it was tech, the sort of tech first thinking. And so we, we really kick against that. It's not about putting the tech first, it's about putting people first. And we, we spend quite a lot of time and probably sort of slavishly sometimes just getting to understand understand the problem but then understand who you're applying this solution to um so so really it's about this sort of intersection of understanding of on the one hand people and on the on the other hand technology and we, we're we're lucky in that we understand both of these things very well and the the agency is you know is full of people who understand either one or the other or probably in most cases understand a bit about both so, so could you give us an example of what that means for a client, human-centered thinking, tech-centered doing? Yeah, so I mean, it applies to all of the different areas of our business. But one, one sort of very obvious example of it is that we, um, we operate a process of uh, human-centered design in the way that we build for our clients. So it is about understanding audiences and getting into really clearly understanding persona groups, customer journeys, all of this kind of stuff before we go anywhere near actually trying to to sort of design and build and and this is something that i feel is it's certainly different when you talk to clients who are building maybe smaller pieces of tech i think if you're building you know sort of enterprise level tech it's an obvious thing to do and people are a bit more sort of belts and braces about it but i think applying that thinking to even smaller projects is actually really important we found ways to be able to do that sort of lean ways to be able to do that to make it um, sort of affordable not only in terms of money but also in terms of time for for sort of medium size and smaller clients too i i know that tim Dows is is one of your advisors he was the um he was the guy that in, in, introduced us recently fantastic guest on the podcast recently as well uh tim grew inferno into a phenomenally successful agency uh draft fcb acquired them for about uh, 11 million pounds what, what have you learned from him about how to grow a successful agency i mean i mean tim is tim is fantastic he's he's uh you know a mentor and a friend and uh, i mean you you know him you know that he's got this sort of fantastic mix of being um you know exceptionally positive and driven but at the same mm. time very down to earth and i think very that, down I to think earth. That, yeah you know so him bringing in i think you know, we talked about being outside of London. I think it's great to have influences that come from that London world and can sort of apply a bit of that thinking. Um, and one, one of the examples, actually, so something that Tim said fairly early on, you know, he sort of came into the business and we agreed that he would, you know, sort of be part of the business and, and this is what we want you to do, Tim, this is how we want you to work. One of the things that we talked about with him was our was our um, our marketing and the way that we worked with, uh, you know, new, the new business team on trying to, to bring in new leads. And uh, we sort of told him that a lot of our, a lot of our um, new business had come in from recommendations and clients actually talked about us in terms of being sort of hidden gems, you know, sort of hmm. hidden, hiding this stuff away. <laughs> and, and Tim's response to this, quite rightly, and when you think about it, it sort of makes complete sense. His response is, well, why the hell is it hidden? You know, <laughs> why the hell is it hidden? Let's get out there. Let's talk. Good question. Let's have a bit of swagger. You know, if, you, if you've got this amazing stuff going on and clients yeah. are actually saying you're a real yeah. gem, for God's sakes, don't hide it away. 
So, um, you know, it's just, I think it's about having a, um, a, a sort of, I sort of say a London mindset, but but it's definitely about having a um, you know sort of broader view and being able to then come in and help um, maybe maybe apply that in agencies that don't sort of think about themselves in quite that way and don't have that swagger and that that innate, innate sort of confidence that a lot of the uh, sort of better London agencies have. And and so how how have you changed as a result of that? Now are you more proactive in shouting about? about yourself and you know that prompts another question around sort of you know what what caused that sort of inferiority complex is, is it because you're sort of outside of London and you sort of see the bigger shinier guys as more somehow more sophisticated or sort of more more capable um how have you changed your approach to new business as a result of Tim's uh <laughs> Tim's uh harsh words not harsh say, words, but words. Yeah, Tim's kick up the backside. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, um, I mean, I think it's it's probably a smaller agency thing as opposed to a, a regional thing necessarily. You know, you're mm. a small agency and you feel, you know, you've obviously not got the resources to throw at things and you don't have the time maybe um, to do as much of the sort of thought leadership stuff. And we, we have sort of doubled down on that. We've, you know, we've, we've made a conscious effort that we are going to be uh, more upstream. We're going to be far more consultative. Which, which goes back to this thought, I think, of clients a lot of the time needing help working out what the problem is, as well as sort of solving the problem. They want to they actually understand you know, how to ask the question in the first place. So we, we need to be more consultative. So this is where the upskilling and the reskilling comes in. But I think, yes, we've definitely got, um, we've got better through Tim's guidance. We've got better at doing more stuff around thought leadership. We've got better at doing our own webinars and you know getting people on stage to talk about certain things and writing more articles and you know we've just done a lot more stuff around that because it's so important if we want to actually you know not hide hide our light under a bushel anymore we need to properly sort of get out there and get stuck in Mm. so so that's come from tim and i think it's also now something that the whole agency the whole agency feels and it is something that is propelling us forward Mm, love it ben i could speak to you all day but final question before we get into our favorite questions towards the back end of the interview that we ask all of our guests uh, even though we've seen a lot of progress in recent years representation of women and minorities especially at the highest levels of leadership in agency land is still sadly lacking uh, is the industry doing enough to uh, encourage uh, minorities and, and women into the industry and, and what more can be done yeah, I mean, I, I think the simple answer is that that we're not doing enough as an as an industry. I mean, we're not doing enough as a, an individual agency either. Um, I mean, I, I I think that there are there are three sort of uber things that are going on, three sort of mega issues that business is is facing. One of them is DNI. You know, this whole inclusion question mark and how you properly sort of deal with with diversity and making sure that people feel included and are included. Um, I think the the other two are um, the environment, which is obviously a massive thing, and we've actually made good inroads there. We're a B Corp, and we're really proud of our, right. our corporation status. So we've done that, um, and and I think um, I think the final thing is um, is uh, about mental health. I've, I've sort of talked a little bit about that, but um, I think it is you know a bit of a plague on our. On our industry it's a bit of a, a sort of silent thing that's going on um I've, i mean i've seen it sort of noted it all the way through my career but it feels like we're finally as an industry starting to get it sort of get a bit of a handle on that but in terms so, of so talk a little bit about that then so do you mean sort of depression uh and anxiety uh, that have been written about and documented from some of the larger uh sort of uh networked agencies um, we know there are very long hours um, that are expected within agency land. We know that there's a lot of pressure put on creative people and, and all people in, in, in sort of agency land. Is, is, is that the sort of thing that you're referring to? Because there was a lot of stigma associated with mental health and, uh, and, and, and depression and anxiety, but now not so much. I mean, yes. I mean, it, it's, it is anxiety. It is depression. You know, it's all, all of these things, really. I think there's um, there's definitely more of a recognition, and there is there is slowly becoming less of a stigma about it. Um, but I think it is a, sl- a fairly sort of slow slow process. Um, 
I mean, my, my wife is a therapist. And I guess I said that earlier. My wife's a therapist, so I, I feel I feel very lucky that I've I've got somebody that I can that can help me sort of understand. You know, why did I respond in this way to somebody? Why am I getting stressed out about this? Why do they mm. feel this? Why did they say that? Helping sort of understand that sort of stuff. So you've got a bit of a sort of a pressure valve there, and I think all of us need that. You know, we can be we can be exceptionally emotionally intelligent, but we still need to have a way, a sort of check and balance in the way that we, um, in the way that we sort of manage our, our daily lives. And so, so I think it's a, I think that the problem with mental health is that people do sort of compartmentalize it a little bit and think that it is just about sort of anxiety breakdowns or mm. panic attacks or depression. I think it's far mm. more widespread than that. Um, mm. But I think as, a, as an industry, we are doing, you know, we are certainly more aware of it. Um, I mean, I don't know if you, there's, there's a show, I don't know if you've seen the show on uh, on Sky called Billions. Have you seen the show? Yes, I, yes. I so it's basically episodes. set inside, I don't know, some kind of, um, I don't know, where it's set inside, it's something like, you know. And, um, and they have their own, you know, in-house therapist, basically. And yeah, this does this does now happen. People are starting to get into it. I think this will become a far more, far more sort of widespread thing to actually have it as part and parcel of the way that you the way that you work. Mm -hmm. I think we're far we're far better. We're far more productive. We're far more effective when we are you know sort of mentally at our best. I mean, it goes it sort of goes without saying, but I don't think much attention is paid to people's um, emotional well being unless it flares up into something which is a you know, sort of more more noticeable sort of physical manifestation, like I say, you know, panic attacks or whatever. Ben, I know I've only got you for a few more minutes, so let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple of them as well. Pick some of them okay. at random. Um, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Uh, God, every day. <laughs> every, every day. Take, take your pick. Um, I suppose um, I suppose what I would say is that uh, obviously there are loads of failures, but but the worst the worst thing, and I've sort of become more and more conscious of this as, I, as I've got older, I've become more and more conscious of this, and that is about failing really slowly is the worst mm. possible thing. <laughs> you know, it's the worst thing. This sort of trying to save something that you know in your heart, you know, sure. let it go. And there's right. a, I'm rewatching I'm rewatching re the West Wing at the moment. And, Great show. Um, it's such a great show, and I've, I've not, you know, I've not seen it for years. Probably since it was actually on TV. But yeah, um, so, somebody bought me the box set at Christmas. And I finally got into sort of watching it, and there's a there's a great bit where where um, President Father he's got this statement. You know, they've obviously messed up. So there's massive mess ups happen, and he sort of just stands there and goes, "Mistakes are going to be made. Minimize them, fix them, and move on." And I just mm. thought, I've, I've now written that on my wall at home. It's on a little piece of paper. This idea of you know things are going to happen. So let's just make sure we learn from them so we can minimize them next time and then fix them and just get on with it. Because, it, you know, life is too short to actually have these things dangling around, you know, resenting your own you know, decisions that you've made or, you know, resenting other people and the decisions they've made. I think we just need to sort of fix stuff and get on with it. So you speak about Billions and, and The West Wing. Tell us other things that you're streaming and watching these days. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm a big Netflix fan. Um, I, I love the um, I love the pop culture documentaries on Netflix, and by nice. that I mean things like Defiant Ones. I don't know if you've seen Defiant Ones. No, no. It's great. You should go and watch Defiant Ones. So the story of um, the story of Dr. Dre. It's it's a it's a really fantastic huh. thing, um, and an exceptionally well done documentary. I think they're very good at that. The other one that I've just finished is um, The Last Dance. Um, yeah, Michael Jordan's documentary. Yeah, which is that was just really good. Fantastic. Really good. Yeah, mm. really great. Really, really great, and I sort of enjoyed the fact that um, I don't know, just uh, you know, he's got such an aura, hasn't he, about him, Michael? And you sort of go, you know, does does this make me think? Does this make me think that um, you know he's, he's sort of somehow you know magic? And I thought actually, what it showed showed me anyway, what I felt about it is that you know, he clearly works exceptionally hard. Yeah. And gives up quite a lot, you know. He, there's a lot of sacrifice that's gone on here that you just don't, you don't sort of see when you see a, a sort of Nike commercial with him in it. Sure. Um, 
but it's just that hard work and that dedication. I mean, he is he is obviously superhuman. There's something something wrong with that guy, but uh, in in the best possible way, you know, just an amazing individual. Definitely works really hard, but and achieved a lot in in his basketball career. But at what cost? I mean, a lot of his teammates Absolutely. didn't Absolutely. really like him very much. Rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. Um, at at what cost? So what yeah. what did you what did you come away from that feeling and thinking about Michael Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's true about you know people saying you can do you can be whatever you want to be. I, I think that's fine, but you've also got to accept there's a cost, right? You know, there's you yeah, sure you can do what you want, but you are going to have to make certain sacrifices. There are things that are going to happen, choices that you're going to have to make that aren't going to be popular things that are going to not set you in the best possible place. So it's it's sort of, you know, I, I came out of it feeling sort of reassured that he was a real person, mm. you know, because I think, I think you can sort of get into sort of seeing this sort of persona or aura of certain celebrities or sportsmen and women and sort of think, you sort of see that that sort of, almost like the easy side of what they do. You know, Usain Bolt, you sort of see, you see him run, in nine seconds, you kind of go, well, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. That's then it. He is Job done. Hero. Move yeah, on. Exactly. Right. But what you don't see is the sacrifices in terms of family, sure. in terms of, you know, what he's had to do with his management to get him into the right place, sure. you know, all of that stuff. And that's all what I found that. really great about that show. Hmm. Really good. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What books have been most influential in your own career as, as leader of an agency, uh, from your understanding of marketing, and also nonfiction as well, um, uh, or or indeed fiction. Tell us about some of your favourite books. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of steal an Eddie Izzard quote here, which is, you know, some people are widely read, and I consider myself narrowly read. So <laughs> I, I I definitely, you know, I sort of read. Obviously, I had to read a fair amount when I've been studying, so a lot of sort of marketing texts were were involved in that. I um, Although I'm not not a sort of ferocious reader, I do love reading um, uh, sort of biographies of uh, various various sort of you know business luminaries. So um, I fairly recently uh, finished reading Shoe Dog, which I thought was fantastic. Fantastic book. Um, and I've read uh, Let My People Go Surfing, which is fantastic as well. You should, yeah. From our point of view, that whole Patagonia story is just so important with what we're trying to do around some environmental stuff at the moment. Huh. Um, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull's great book. Oh, okay. No, really, I haven't really read that. Um, but, but actually, I think at, at a fairly early age in, in terms of my advertising career, I read an amazing, an amazing book. If you've not read this, you should, should really read it, which is Story by Robert McKee. And no, it's a... It's a it's a book. It's basically it's written for screenwriters. Um, yeah. It's actually you know for for anyone who who wants to write a, a screenplay, this is this is sort of book for them. But but actually, it's not really about that. When you get into it, you realise that it's about sort of understanding that stories help us um, make sense of our, our own lives, but also the world around us. That's sort of what it's about. Um, so it's a fantastic thing for anybody who wants to understand how to sell stories as a way to sell. Hmm. Quite, quite fascinating. Added to my very long Amazon reading list. I don't know whether I'm, I'm ever going to get to the bottom of that list. I, I, I really won't. Um, final couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who comes to you and says that they want to start their career in a marketing agency? Uh, call me. I'm available. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Come on down. Yeah. Are you, um, are you sure? Are you sure you're ready for that influx yeah. of calls that you're about to get? <laughs> definitely. You know, we're always yeah. looking for great people, so, so definitely. I mean, um, I said this. I said this earlier, but I think uh, I think starting even even now, and I know there's a lot of debate about you know, where the where the sort of network agencies are in terms of you know being sort of left behind and you know they sort of had their day and everything else. I still think that a large agency is a great place to start your career. Hmm. Um, just because there are such amazing people around and there's such an amazing history and there's such an amazing clients, there's such an amazing amount of learning that can be done. So I still think it's a fantastic place to start. I suppose the, the difference I would say is I, I would probably, uh, you know, not wait too long having learned to then move into, you know, going to working at a client or a startup or a 
small agency or trying something different to sort of keep that learning going. So that would be my thing. I wouldn't necessarily sort of think about having a career in a, in a large network agency, hmm. but I would definitely want to start there. Interesting. And my final question, Ben, what is it you know about growing an agency today that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career? Um, I mean, I suppose it goes back to this Nike thing, just do it. You know, there's that, there's that quote mm. around, you know, whatever you, whatever you believe, just begin. You know, action has magic and power. That, that thought of just mm. get in there and get stuff done. Um, I think that would be my main thing. Because I've just spent quite a long time having a fantastic time, you know, working at, uh, working at big agencies, doing wonderful stuff for wonderful clients. But I think, actually, if I could go back, I'd probably just look to move a little bit faster and maybe make some more uh, sort of positive decisions quicker. Mm. Less procrastination, more just doing stuff. Mm. Move fast and, and break things, as they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. It's been great. It's been really good. We have been speaking with Ben Scoggins. He is currently the Managing Director of Organic Agency. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 88 such conversations we've had now with world-class sales, marketing, and advertising leaders. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. And we're done. <laughs> Brilliant.